0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Product Startup Podcast, a podcast that helps bring your product idea to life by chatting with successful inventors, product designers, and other industry professionals. This podcast is run by Macro Design & Invent and hosted by Philip Belecha. Our goal here is to get to the bottom of what makes a product successful, from initial idea to putting your product on the shelf. We're taking you step-by-step to build a functional product and scale your product business. Now onto the show.
1: The Product Startup, Episode 33. Kirsten Ross helped creators raise over $1.1 million through Indiegogo and Kickstarter. And she's also the host of Crowdfunding Uncut, a podcast that deconstructs the successes that go into funding campaigns. Welcome to the Product Startup Podcast, where we talk about turning ideas into successful products step-by-step. I'm Philip Velica, and thanks for listening today. In the last episode, we talked with Jill Bong. She's an entrepreneur, homesteader, and inventor of chicken armor, a different chicken saddle. Make sure to check out episode 32 if you want to hear more about how she and her husband successfully launched a product and make income in a tiny niche. Before we get started, I wanted to read an anonymous listener's question. He says, I read your site. Great info on there. I currently have a company that sells a few different types of products. Business is going well, and I'm trying to create a prototype. However, I'm running into the challenge of very high development costs. I would really appreciate some feedback and advice. So using outside development companies will set you back a good deal of money. They usually assign engineers and designers at shop rates to work on the design, and they may even develop their prototype for you at additional cost. So keep in mind in the U.S., the costs are usually between 80 and $120 an hour, depending on the level of experience of the team that's assigned to you, and that's per person. So naturally, if you've got a few people that are assigned to the project, development companies may easily charge 10 dollars $15,000, depending on the complexity of the design, on up to something that's a very complicated project, costing $50,000, $75,000 to complete. So this is usually the fastest and smoothest way of getting to that next step. If you want, you can also look at managing this scope yourself and considering some other routes. For example, look into using off-the-shelf components to put together most of the prototype and only customize the one or two pieces that are new for your product. Perhaps modifying something else yourself, even a competitor's product, can get you close enough to where you have something functional and get some feedback. Depending on how hands-on you are, this is usually the cheapest route. A second way of approaching this is going to a local college that has an engineering or industrial design department and offer to sponsor a senior design project. Final year students typically complete a cradle-to-grave type engineering project over the course of a semester. This usually will get you a dedicated resource or small team for, let's say, a few thousand dollar donation. Now, they may not be able to build you the prototype. It really depends on the facilities at the college and the skill set of the students that you get, but they will definitely be able to solve some of your more difficult challenges. The last place to look would be using a freelance service and finding a freelance industrial designer or engineer. You can find them online through places like odesk or freelancer.com or even on Craigslist if you want someone local. Their bid should be much more competitive than using a outside development company, but of course you usually only get one person helping you with the design and you're trusting that they have the expertise to complete it for you. You can then take the design that they've built and solicit fabrication costs at local fab shops in your area or going to a place like MFG.com and submitting your quote using either drawings or a 3D model that was created by your freelancer. So I hope that helps you guys. Feel free to send me email at philip at theproductstartup.com and let me know what kind of questions you'd like for me to answer on the show. So let's get started with today's interview. Hi, Kirsten. Thanks for coming on the show today.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: So I'm really excited to have you on just because a lot of the guests that we've had on the show have done their own crowdfunding campaigns. Can you talk a little bit about how a Kickstarter can help get revenue at any stage of your product lifecycle, whether you've got an idea that you've tested all the way to where you're already a company and you're creating revenue, but you're trying to generate some additional buzz or maybe test if a product is working?
2: Your question is, how can we make sure that a product makes the founder money?
1: Well, how can we use crowdfunding to either generate additional buzz for the business or generate additional income for projects that you may not feel 100% confident about or you might not have the funding for?
2: So I've had the luxury of working on two kinds of projects. One is where you're starting from nothing and then one where you're coming in to an established company that has a bit of startup capital, but is like launching product Mm 2.0. And it's a way to create awareness around that product and then use that once they finish their Kickstarter or Indiegogo campaign, they can then continue an in-demand right through until they launch that product on Amazon. So you're pretty much making money on that product as soon as a campaign is over right up until you're actually delivering that, which is cool. It really depends like your ability to make money with certain products depends on how far into the life cycle you want to launch on Kickstarter or Indiegogo. You can either launch to raise money to develop a prototype or you can launch when you have the prototype and then your campaign is more around raising funds for that initial manufacturing run. And I think you're in a much safer place to launch when you have the working prototype already done and it's just a matter of bringing that to market because there's a lot less room for error with underestimating costs or running into problems when you're actually designing the thing to realize that you know the 500 k you've raised isn't enough to bring this thing to market. I've had the pleasure of working on campaigns where they're products that were validated because I tend to not take on campaigns where it's not something I think will sell because as an advisor, I don't make money if the creator doesn't have a successful campaign, right? So there's that part of it. But part of having a early stage product is you have to figure out the positioning. I work out of an office here in Toronto and I had a guy approach me yesterday with this really cool prototype. And luckily they've had like Twitter approach them and Shopify approach them. So the idea is kind of validated, but in order to figure out how to position that properly for the consumer, like as a founder, they didn't really understand how their customer would use it as more of a gimmick. So early stage, I think your ability to bring a great product is how you choose to position that so you can relate it to the consumer when you launch it on Kickstarter or Indiegogo. This happened with Thin Ice, my very first project where we failed. We only raised about a third of what we needed to and we got the positioning completely wrong. The product was great, but we um ended up not speaking to a single customer before we launched. We just wrote some copy and positioned the video where we thought people would connect with it, but it ended up flopping and What we did the second time around was we ended up speaking to audience and see, okay, where's the disconnect? Why, what is it about a crowdfunding page or a video that you're not connecting with and why aren't you buying? And it turned out that the product was great. Positioning was all wrong. That was just one of the few problems we had with the campaign, but we ended up going from failure to $600,000 launch. So I think you do have to validate the product, but... It's one thing to have a great product and not understand how to sell it. It's another thing to have a crappy product that no one wants. So I think your question is kind of a two-pronged approach, if that makes sense.
1: I really appreciate you sharing how the other campaigns that you worked on didn't really work out. I speak to people that say, hey, I think crowdfunding is going to solve all my problems. I have this great idea. Now I'm going to launch a Kickstarter or Indiegogo campaign and people will flock to me and buy my product. How have you been able to make sure that you're speaking the language that resonates with your market?
2: I think it comes down to like every guru online now says that you need to build an audience before you launch. That's super important because if you launch to nobody, you're not going to make money. Like, end of story. But it's what you do with the audience you have when you're building it to figure out positioning. Like I've done with TapLock, what we did was, so this is about like four months away from launch at this point, we had to make some assumptions of who we thought our customer was. And I hate saying make assumptions, but you got to start somewhere. And so we knew that. So TapLock is a padlock that opens with your unique fingerprint instead of needing a combination or keys. So it's really, really cool. But we thought, okay, who would be the best buyer for something like this? And then we took it down to, okay, gym users would definitely use this and people with a bit of disposable income, so like 25 to 30. And we think it's probably going to be like a 60-40 split male to female. So we had to make some assumptions. And then we then use that information to start talking to people online. But also the founding team went and sat outside of gyms and surveyed people in an attempt to A, grab their email address, but B, understand how they perceive the product And so we didn't just like throw up a landing page with Facebook ads and say, join our list. It was more like having that customer interaction when we first started because we really had to understand what the consumer was going to perceive about our product, why they would love it, why they wouldn't buy it, what their concerns would be, and what price point they would pay for it. So instead of guessing all these factors, which when you look at how you structure your campaign, like how do you know how to talk to your customer? How do you know what their biggest concern with your product is? Or be able to answer their questions if you've never spoken to a single customer. So we have those customer interactions early on. And then we'll even take that so far as like when we're doing a Facebook ads campaign to build audience pre-launch. We have to test different demographics and different offers to see who's going to latch onto that before we like go full scale with these assumptions right?
1: Really happy to hear you say that because that's one of the early steps that we use whenever we're creating new products and design is you have to speak to the target market because otherwise you end up spending all this time and money creating something that nobody wants. Exactly. So having those conversations and like you said, conversations with people, not just a landing page. And I think there is a slight misconception with that, because like you said, that you can read some books, you know, four hour work week. I love Tim Ferriss and a lot of the stuff that he puts out. But there's that misconception in four hour work week that all you have to do is throw up a landing page and drive traffic to it. And it's worst thing you can do. Like, <laughs> right. And, it, and I've actually done that just because I wanted to challenge my preconception that, hey, you know, maybe when I learned working in my jobs, maybe that wasn't the right way to go, especially as an engineer. I might be too stubborn and in, in following this rigid mentality. Maybe there's this better way. And so I tested it myself and it didn't really have good success for me.
2: (laughs) I think what landing pages allow you to do is get data for everything. And I've become kind of a conversion freak where like we'll have a couple different variants of a landing page to say, oh man, this isn't really converting. Why isn't it converting? Or What we're doing with the project I'm currently on, I think we're launching in probably around the time this podcast goes live, but we are doing a content strategy. So we're releasing videos like teaser videos on um, Facebook and YouTube. And what we're seeing is with video analytics where people are dropping off. And like we discovered when we put the one minute video on our Facebook page, very few people were converting to email list. And um Sorry, the dryer.
1: Just one. Nice. <laughs> I think I'm gonna keep this in.
2: Uh, please do. I love these like bloopers. Okay, so what I was saying was like we discovered through content that people were dropping off, and if we had a call to action like at the very end of this one minute thing, people were dropping off before maybe at 30 seconds and not seeing that. So we're wasting all this money on Facebook ads to not convert. So. If we see that people are dropping off at 30 seconds, we can then edit the video to be more to the point or have a call to action at 30 seconds. So it helps increase our conversions. And it's just really cool to see like where people are interacting with your content and your landing page. But it's so much more powerful to have that conversation with them.
1: I'm a data freak as well. And so I agree getting data and testing it and tweaking things is huge in terms of being able to kind of narrow down your message and and focus and, and fine tune some things around your site. You mentioned that it's really key to have an audience to launch to. So if you don't have an audience, but you have a product and a prototype, would you say the next step is to find an audience and grow that before you even think about a, a crowdfunding campaign?
2: 100%. So do you mind if I rant no. for a bit? Okay. Cool. Because I, um, I posted this rant on Facebook a couple of days ago after I got off the phone with someone and it was very well received. Um. So I had this lovely guy, local, who emailed me late one night, and uh, he had launched his Kickstarter about four days before this, so like last Thursday. And he's like, hey, I would like to hire your firm to advise and market my campaign because it's not converting very well. So I took one look at the page, saw he had a goal of $100,000 and four days in was only 4% funded. And I was like, okay, what's your budget? When did you launch? What's your goal? And then he came back with his budget of 5K that he wanted to spend on marketing after his campaign was not doing well. And the first thing I said to him was like, do not spend a dollar on marketing until we speak tomorrow. And I got on the phone with him and I like asked him a few questions. About how flexible his goal was. And I basically told him that he had two choices to pull the campaign down, or if you can't do that, just give up on it and don't spend the money. Or number two, spend 30 days hustling and going to angel investment and trying to get bigger wholesale deals to raise as much money as possible. And he's like, okay, but why am I just going to give up on this thing? Like, I've built a bit of an audience. I'm like, okay, well, the way that Kickstarter works is they have a popularity algorithm where. Kickstarter and Indiegogo make a 5% cut off of every dollar they raise on site. And so that means from a business perspective, they're going to help out the projects that are making the money. And they do that by boosting your rankings on site. And so what you see in the discover section or the trending section or front page or anything like that are projects that are really popular and moving really quickly. But in order for you to hit that, You need to have a ton of momentum in the first two to three days after you launch. You need to have a certain amount of backers. You need to raise a huge chunk of your funding goal. I think the number is like thirty to forty percent that you should raise in those first couple of days in order for you to get successfully funded. And I don't mean the million dollar campaigns. I mean if you have a goal of forty thousand and you legitimately want to raise forty k, you're looking at getting about fifteen thousand or 20,000 raised in that first 72 hours or else your project is just going to be dead most likely. And so when I look at a project that's 4% and I look at someone who wants to spend money on advertising, all I'm thinking is, okay, you spend money on Facebook ads, people are going to come to your page and they're going to see, okay, even if they understand how crowdfunding works, they're going to see 4%. They're going to see this project is not popular, probably not going to get funded, probably going to fail. I don't want to be a part of this. So that's part of perception is like, you need that audience because you are never going to take advantage of the crowdfunding community, unless if you are that unicorn that could launch with zero audience with this amazing project. But you need that initial audience for you to get those initial backers, which are your friends and family and that list that you've built up before. Because when you open the floodgates and you stack it properly with getting people into back you early on, then that's going to raise your popularity on site to then get more traffic as that comes in through Kickstarter and Indiegogo. And then that's how you like catapult with it. But you can never get that initial momentum if you don't have an audience to start
1: with. So what I'm taking away from this is then Having a crowdfunding campaign is really more of a boost to amplify the investment that you are already should be getting from the audience that you should be talking to. It's not a way to go from zero to the next step.
2: No, like you go from zero to the next step, not by... It's not like when you're building your list, you're collecting payments from customers, even though that would be awesome, but you're not. You're keeping them excited and ready for a launch. And then what you do with that launch when you first go live is like people are interested because they want this, but they also want the product cheap and you create like a Black Friday event with your first day on crowdfunding where it's like, if you are one of our first hundred backers, you get our product at 50% off and you create that herd mentality. So it's like you line up the people for the big sale when you open it.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And early on in the product development process, I always tell people that they should go. And when they're having these conversations with people, if they're responding favorably to ask for that order, to get that pre-order. And so this kind of dovetails nicely because you can kind of hold off that Exchange of money, even though it's really hard for people to pull out their wallet, you can at least say, Hey, let me get your email. So when we do launch our crowdfunding campaign, you can buy into it at a discount.
2: Exactly. But to make sure that they actually put their money where their mouth is, you incentivize it with early bird rewards so that you limit it to the first hundred people get this insane deal that nobody else will get or something.
1: If you're forming your audience before you're launching your campaign because it could take you months to create your audience. How are you keeping them engaged? I guess you're just sending out updates in terms of this is what we've done recently with development and this is where the status of the product is and here's a sneak peek or here's a photo or here's just something that kind of keep you engaged.
2: Yeah. Okay. This is Internet Marketing 101. If you are interested in it, I do highly recommend you pick up Russell Brunson's book. It's called Dotcom Secrets. Um, it's a lead to his email list, but for $10 in shipping, it's going to be the best investment you make. He walks you through how to create a full sales funnel, um, which is what I would suggest. So when someone opts into your email list, you want to give them two kinds of emails, uh, over the months prior to your event, you want to be doing broadcasts. So it's like every two, three weeks, it's like, hey, we're getting ready to shoot the video, or we just got final renderings of our prototype, or here's a survey, what's most important for you for this, or here's an interview I did, or here's some content. So it's like you every two to three weeks, just remind people that you're around, but the first kind of, is that the automated sequence you want to give them when they opt into your list, which is the welcome sequence. It's something that you A, thank them for being on the list, but then over the next couple of days, you want to give them a bit more background into who you are as a founder, why you're qualified to do this project, and how how did this idea come about? And then like the next email after that is getting more into what the product is. So it's more of an educational sequence, so people get it. And you do this with that automation because you're using your email list to build a relationship.
1: And you're trying to sell the benefits of your product through email, I guess, as clearly as possible. Have you found anything in particular that works better than something else? For example, maybe linking to videos in your emails that show the prototype in use versus maybe an infographic versus just a plain text email that sounds more personal?
2: Internet marketers will say that you should just keep the email as short as possible and link to content on your site Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to keeping everything in your inbox. I haven't seen anything work better than others, but what I would recommend is that you test different things and see what your audience is more receptive to. But I think at the end of the day, when you're first getting started, you don't have that big of a list. And so what I would just encourage you to do is ask your audience to engage with you and just ask them questions like, why are you interested in this product? Or what is your number one frustration with playing electric guitar or whatever problem that your product is going to solve? At the end the day, I think content is great, but you need to be engaging with people because if you can form those relationships with people who connect with your product, you can get them on the phone and do customer interviews and it could just go so much further.
1: No, I agree. Having that one 15 minute conversation is worth so much more than some random poll that may not get you that granularity that you're looking for in the response back. Exactly. Let's pretend the campaign is launched now, you've got your audience. What do you see are some of the typical stumbling blocks that people run into that maybe they don't execute well? You know, I've personally seen some pages on Kickstarter that don't look very professional, that don't instill confidence in the team. What's maybe the next step after that if, if you've looked at some of the successful Kickstarters and you've kind of tried to make sure that you're including the same type of information? What is one pitfall to look out for?
2: I'd be really curious if you can tell me actually, sorry, podcaster here, but if you can (laughs) actually tell me like, what is it about a page that you've been to that doesn't instill confidence?
1: Okay, as a designer, I see some basic things. I see obvious flaws with the product that maybe they haven't thought of or maybe questions that I have that they haven't addressed. Something is made out of plastic and, and secures with a suction cup. Have they done the testing on that? And at least have that FAQ at the bottom that says, hey, we hear your concern and we've answered it this way. Right. Yeah. Here's a link to this test or here's whatever.
2: Yeah. Perfect. So it's like, okay, I think... We can make an amazing long list of stuff, but it's like, what doesn't instill confidence? And it depends what lens you're looking through it. Like you're looking through it from a designer standpoint. We've had people pick apart our projects from an engineering standpoint, or maybe they're a backer that's been screwed before and they're looking at your financial projections and thinking this isn't accurate. So a few things that could be red flags it's one thing to get an audience, but then you still have 30 days of your campaign to do. So you want to make sure it's converting to the masses. So a few things, FAQs, be as in-depth as possible and answer questions like be as transparent as possible. We didn't know at the time if we would have a Windows app. So we completely disclosed that and said, you know, based on popular demand, if that's something we choose to do, then we're going to develop that. Or battery life is this, or here are the components we're doing. So FAQ testimonials of people either using your product or engaging with it would be great. Having a forecasted breakdown of your budget. So like, why do you need to raise $50,000? Where is that money being allocated specifically? Are you in partnership with anyone? Like, have you figured out the manufacturing side or the fulfillment side? Or is that something you're working on? Just being as upfront as possible will really help. And I think red flags are when you say we need to raise 40000 but you don't give a breakdown. Your FAQs are very high level. You're not answering customer comments quickly. You're very evasive with things. I think that's when red flags come in.
1: Basically, being approachable, transparent as you can be. And instilling that confidence and trust as quickly as possible because you really only have 30 days to convey all that.
2: Exactly. And you only have your campaign page to do that. Right. It'd be really cool too, to put like a support email address below to say, if you have any questions or if things are not clear, please send our team an email.
1: Basically what you can do is then take the questions that you're getting and update the page accordingly.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Cause you need to be doing that. Side two of like me helping out with projects is we, when we launch, regardless of if we're getting sales or not, I have to be looking at the conversion rates on the page because Indiegogo, Kickstarter will tell you how much traffic you're getting to how many buyers. And if that is less than one5 or 2%, there's some disconnect and you need to play around with stuff until you figure that out.
1: Yeah, that's interesting that you use that 1% to 2.5% number because that's kind of what it is for e-commerce stores. If you've got a Shopify store or something like that that you're driving traffic to, that's your target for conversion.
2: Yeah, exactly. Or else if it's 0.5, then something is wrong and quickly send your campaign page to your friends who you think would buy your product and say, please pick this apart and tell me where you think the disconnect is.
1: Yeah. And I'm surprised that it's that low because you would think that people are on Kickstarter, Indiegogo to spend their money. And so you would expect the conversion to be higher as if it were Amazon, maybe not that high, but certainly higher than 2%. Yeah,
2: it's weird because I, I would think, and I'm just making assumptions here, but I would assume that people approach Kickstarter the same way they do Amazon, like they browse for cool products. So the conversion rate would be like 1% to 2%. But if you are supporting a friend and it's your friend that sent you this campaign, then the conversion rate would be higher because it's a no-brainer that you know you want this thing already and you're specifically coming there for that. So I think it depends just where the source of traffic is coming from.
1: As for some of the things that you have on the page, I know people have come up to me and said, hey, you know what? I really believe in my product, but they're really introverted. They're definitely product type people instead of people people, I guess. And they're gun shy about putting themselves out there and saying, hey, this is who I am and this is what I stand for. Here's the team that's involved because they feel like maybe they don't want to be that spokesperson, so to speak, for their product. What would you tell that type of person?
2: Are we talking about maybe being in the video with the founder story?
1: Yes. Or even just listing their name and social media information and everything as a founder on the page.
2: I think you kind of have to. If you don't want to be the founder, then you can be your company name, but you need to have a track record because what if people do, like I do this with marketing services whenever we get advertise that they, oh, they say, oh, we can get so many backers for you. Like, mm-hmm. don't trust them. But if I'm doing reconnaissance on that, I can look and see, okay, uh, let's go to their website. They don't have social media. They're hiding something. It seems like that's not trustworthy. So if you don't want to be like the face of it, at least have a legitimate company or stand behind your team. So instead of it being the David Tao show, it's more Pigeon Labs right as your team. right Bottom
1: line, somebody yeah. has to stand behind it and they have to have a public front.
2: To me it seems like they're hiding something. And if something goes wrong with the project, customers and backers don't know where to go. So you need to have that public face. But I think it's a matter of how much you go into depth with it. Like I've been on videos where the founder is doing the voiceover and he's in all the scenes. And I've done videos where it's just a different voiceover. And there's just one scene with the founder just being interviewed about how he came up with this idea.
1: Yeah. So you bring up video, which is a good point. Do I need to be a gorgeous millennial and play a ukulele in the background for my video to be successful?
2: Oh, God, no. Uh, You want to be relatable to the masses. So if you have a weight loss product, why don't you just get someone who's not like a size zero, blonde hair, nice California tan. You need to have someone who's actually struggling with that. Like maybe it's the office worker that's 10 or 15 pounds overweight, average looking. When someone's watching your video, they need to see them in that scene. They need to connect with that. So I think unless if you have a product specifically targeted at perfection, you should relate it to the customer.
1: That's good. So I have a chance is what you're saying. Okay. But you're cute. You can do this. I'm not a millennial. (laughs) That's a good point. Regarding video, do you release just one video in the beginning and hope that you can ride that train out or are you trickling content as you would in other types of online marketing?
2: That depends on the team, but the newest project I'm on right now, we're heavily doing video because it's a very visual product. And so what we have done, I got this idea from Erez Rubenstein, who was one of the main members of the Right Cup, and they needed to get this press to start their campaign, but they didn't have a working prototype. So what they did is they created a teaser video, which is like a 30 second clip, 15 minutes of showing how the product would work. And then 15 seconds of showing people using the prototype and getting their reactions. That's cool. And so they use this to market and pitch press (laughs) and get all that lined up before they could develop the final beautiful prototype. So they use video that way and they got a bunch of press. They raised over half a million dollars.
1: That's really awesome that you're able to do that even before uh, starting your Kickstarter.
2: What we're doing with Jamstack is the video one that we released, because we've done two or three videos we've released now, and the first one was a teaser video, but we had this really ugly prototype, and it's an accessory that sits at the base of a guitar. And so we showed someone playing the guitar with this cardboard box around the bottom with like a bunch of question marks. (laughs) just to show it. And then we showed people playing it. So we kind of copied that idea and got a bunch of views. And then we saw that people love the video. So why don't we try different content with what are the top two features that this product is going to do? And then we created a video around how quick and easy this thing is to set up apart from current solutions. So we use that and then get thousands of views on that and then use that as a lead gen for our email list. So we're going to be doing like, we haven't done too much content, but we've done like two or three videos total. And we're going to be doing like a Reddit AMA closer to launch once we have that list. Cause we're pumping money into Facebook ads using those videos. So we've like, We tested the videos to see what people were receptive to. And now we know what we need to be doing to push that with advertising.
1: That's great. What will the topic on the Reddit AMA that ask me anything post be? Is it, hey, I'm, I'm launching a Kickstarter or I've developed this product. Ask me about it.
2: So I don't know Reddit too well. I'm working with my business partner who's a social media expert, and she's going to be getting into the Reddit forums to spike up that conversation over about a week or two. And then we will say, hey, by the way, we're releasing a new thing for guitars. I think you guys really like it, but I want to answer any of your questions. So I think we're going that angle because it's more of a we want to put the product out there and do a demo and see what questions people are asking. Right.
1: That makes sense. And Reddit, it's a bit fickle, and that's why I ask you that question is because it's really hard to promote things on Reddit. Reddit encourages discussion, less promotion, and so you have to come in with that right angle.
2: Yeah, I'm not good with Reddit. I've gotten <laughs> kicked off, I think, once or twice because I'm like, I wasn't being spammy, but yeah. So, anyways, I leave that to our social media girl.
1: <laughs> no, it's a good tip. If someone is struggling with taking their product to market and they want to do a crowdfunding campaign, what are the top three tips or the 80-20 that they need to keep in mind to be successful? Maybe they don't have the budget of hiring somebody like you, or maybe they're not asking for a whole lot of money and they just want to prove a smaller product.
2: I just feel like crowdfunding, people think it's the unicorn and the answer to all their problems, and it's not. Half of my job is screening out products and saying this is not right for crowdfunding. I think honestly, with crowdfunding, you need to have a budget of around $10,000, give or take, five or 10K, depending on your budget, to launch properly and build that audience and whatever. And if you don't have that, then maybe you should be looking to get government grants or take out a small business loan to develop this privately and just put your product on Amazon. Right, Crowdfunding is great, but you need to have a budget. You need to have something that's good or else it's not going to sell. So if it's a money thing, I would strongly just understand what you need to do to pull off a launch like this. And if you can't do that, then maybe there's a longer approach you could take and even look at other e-commerce solutions to see if, you know, that's going to sell. If it's because you don't know whether people want to buy your product You can't just assume that because you think it's the best thing ever that people actually want it. Like I would strongly suggest actually identifying who would buy your product and start talking to them and validate it enough so that you know that if you do have the cash to put in it, that it's going to sell.
1: I'm really excited to hear you say, especially that last part is because we've been preaching that on this show just from a design perspective. So. I'm glad at least we're in agreement. And we, we didn't prepare before the show and agree on our answers. So, um, <laughs> no, we don't.
2: I love this. Like, it just. <laughs> jump into it.
1: Thanks again for being so transparent. Where can people go and hire you if they want to use you on their next campaign and get some help?
2: Well, I have a full website of resources and there will be information on how to contact me. You can go to crowdfundinguncut.com. I do have a podcast specifically for crowdfunding campaigns and I've just released a crowdfunding physical product launch checklist. It's just a freebie on site and it's will break down the timelines before you launch like three to six months out what you need to be focusing on. So you could do that. And then I do have like information on how to contact me if you do have any specific questions about your campaign.
1: Perfect. And we'll definitely link to all of that in the show notes so everyone can get that guide. Thanks again, Kirsten, for coming on the show. You've been a huge help and especially for sharing some of the things that didn't work out because I personally learn from tests. I don't look at failure as failure. I look at it as a test that gave me some data. So...
2: I love that. Thanks again for
1: coming on the show.
2: No, thanks so much for having me.
1: And that wraps up our interview with Kirsten. Here are three takeaways that I think we can all apply to our businesses. Number one, get feedback early. So it doesn't matter if we're going to take this product or service to manufacture ourselves or if we're going to crowdfund it we must get feedback early in the process. If you go on theproductstartup.com, you can see that this is step five in the DIY product development blueprint. Do this before you finalize the design, before you seek funding. Check out episode 12 to hear how the first seven founders that we had on this show did that. Many of the product launch failures that I've seen can be attributed to either the wrong product or the wrong audience. So one of the ways of getting quality feedback is to not ask leading questions. Ask why. Ask four or five times to really dive into that problem before you show that person a solution. Ask what they would pay for that. There's no sense in creating a product for an audience that will not pull out their wallet for you. But it certainly happens a lot. And it's definitely happened to me, especially at some of the companies that I've worked for. Get the person's information so you can follow up with them later. Build an audience that you can eventually tap into if you do decide to launch. Number two, crowdfunding is not the solution to all problems. I hear from many people who don't know their audience or who may have not worked out all the details of their product. Many in- automatically jump to crowdfunding as a solution for these. Yes, there are unicorn products that get funded on Kickstarter and people really rally behind and support them. but. That is not the norm. Remember that these platforms are in the business of making money for themselves. They will not hesitate to bury an underperforming campaign. You have to bring the audience. You have to do the marketing. And above all, you need to know that your product, and I mean how it works, how it will be manufactured, how it competes with others on the market. You need to know all of that is better than other existing products on the market. I look at crowdfunding as just a giant cash register. It's a way for people to give you money. It certainly does not solve any of the other things that lead up to that. Point three, reduce the perceived risk for backers, investors, customers. I emphasize perceived here because it's not about you or your product. It's about what others think of it and your pitch. Get in their head. Be proactive about addressing their concerns, even if you don't agree that it's a risk. Reduce that friction for backers and early adopters to sign up. Show them why your product solves the problem better than anyone else and why you are the one that can deliver the solution. Give them a discount you will never run again. Detail what you will do with their money and speak their language and make sure that the photos, videos, and text resonate with your audience. So how do you know that this is all connecting? How do you know that people are agreeing with the message that you're throwing out there? Let's go back to takeaway number one, ask them, get feedback early. So if you've got questions or comments, I've put all the links that we've covered under the show notes posted on theproductstartup.com episode 33. Join me next time as I speak with myself. That's right. I'm going to kick off the new year with a solo show addressing some of the emails I get about motivation, procrastination fear, limiting beliefs like lack of money, time, or skills. So if you sat on your idea for a while and you haven't done anything with it, or if you've lost your momentum, this episode will be for you. So tune in next week to hear that. Lastly, I'd like to thank everyone listening who shared this show with their friends, their makerspace, their coworkers. I really appreciate your support. Many of the guests that we've had on this show have been as a result of the referrals and a friends of friends reaching out. Thanks again for giving me your feedback. I'll see you guys next week.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast, the show that teaches you what it really takes to bring your product to market and turn it into a big success. This podcast series is brought to you by MacO Design & Invent, the first firm in North America to provide global caliber end-to-end physical consumer product development to startups, inventors, and small product businesses. If you're looking for product development help on your invention, head over to makodesign.com. That's M-A-K-O design.com for a free consultation from one of Mako Design's four design studios from coast to coast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.